0: Countless humans who are awake are creating uh, countervailing thought form fields out there all around us. You know, our own esoteric power is real. And when you start exercising it, it grows like a muscle. And it is ultimately much more powerful than the occult um power of those who hate and devour life, and who are going to enslave, modify, as, uh, as Paul said, I would take it even further in respect of the children. It's sacrifice, it's total cyborgization, it's, you know, to take the, hum- the, the human out of the children, to capture, the idea is to capture these souls and um, kind of deactivate
1: them. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Cech. Today, Paul welcomes back Enna Reitel, author of *Krivda: God Tricks Against the Matrix. Anna has three master's degrees and a PhD in anthropology, as well as being a professional past life regression therapist. She has extensive experience living with subsistence-level people in India, Bangladesh, and currently in Thailand. Enna has been deeply involved in grassroots spiritual movements and is an experienced mediator as well as a professional interpreter. She has an extensive background in the study of the entomology of words, particularly the ancient languages and words specific to world scripture. In today's episode, Paul and Anna have a powerful dialogue on the life of Jesus, the events that led to his crucifixion, and how the Catholic Church rewrote the story of Jesus as a means of brainwashing and maintaining control over the people. Enna gives profound examples of how this control protocol continues to this very day and is directly connected to the events of the world unfolding now. Enna shares Jesus' life as a humanitarian as reconstructed through the extensive research of Francesco Esposito, who holds a PhD in patristics and specializes in the field of early Christianity. This story of the life of Jesus is not only significantly different than that told in the Bible, but as Paul shares in this podcast, it is the first story of Jesus he's studied that really touched his heart. He found Esposito's story both realistic and believable, giving him an entirely new perspective on Jesus that he, Paul, can embrace. And for those of you that listen to Paul's podcast regularly, you know this is a monumental moment. Enna gives us a comprehensive understanding of the ruling elite and how the priest class are used as indirect rulers that implement the strategies of those that lord over them. You will learn a lot about the way the church uses the concept of sin and seeks to keep people in poverty to keep themselves rich and control people. Enna explains why Jesus went to the marketplace and turned the tables on the money changers and how he sought to correct the injustices and trickery being used with money to trick the peasants and keep them poor. As you listen to Enna today, you are sure to have deja vu with regard to what is happening in the world right now. Enna describes how the perpetual reenactment of the sacrifice of Jesus is used to keep people stuck in the wounds and pain of the past so they are easily manipulated. You will learn how sacrifice, destruction and acts of evil are used to feed the gods and how religions objectify and perpetually desecrate nature so the uber-elites stay uber-rich, ever widening the gap between the rich and the poor and much more. And as always, listen from your heart and keep an open mind to get the most from today's session with Paul and Enna. Remember Einstein's saying, you can't solve a problem with the same thinking that created it. Hello and
2: welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check Today we continue our journey with Enna Retort. Our first session was the God tricks against the Matrix. I hope you listened to it. It was mind-blowing. I was buzzing all night from Enna's genius and depth and wisdom and presence and just power of logical, rational, and mystical insight at many times. Today our session is titled, Jesus, the Perpetual Betrayal of Humanity, and I think this is going to be a most interesting one for you. If you didn't get to hear the first session, we covered Enna's history And her qualifications to present this material, which are significant, if you uh, want to loop back and hear that toward the end of the podcast, she gets more in detail with her specific training and qualifications. We begin with an exploration of her earlier life, which led her to being the person she is. We also talked about the importance of being careful with words, their power, and meanings. Which, if you haven't listened to my podcast with Laurel Erica or Mark England, which is scheduled, both of those people are experts on words as well. And we also had an exploration of gods in the ancient history of humanity and some dialogue together on the origins of humans, which was one of my favorite parts of the whole podcast. And I had a lot of very interesting things to say. So, today, uh, Anna welcome back and it's exciting to continue this most amazing journey with you
0: yeah thank you Paul it's really a great joy to be back with you again I really enjoyed the first one so let's enjoy the second one although the material itself is oh <laughs> no, it, I, I don't have a word I don't have a word for the content but you know okay yeah, I understand, you know, but
2: that the truth too, we, we can begin right here is today in the situation of the world. Part of the problem is people don't want to look at the truth that's right in front of them. And they have that same feeling like, you know, people that rush off to get vaccinated and then later find out that people are dying like crazy. They don't want to look at any of the evidence of what's going on because then they have to deal with reality. So I think that oof you gave is really, uh, I interpret that as something that most people don't want to look at, but really need to, to become conscious of truth.
0: I totally agree with you. And that is why I wrote the book. And, you know, once you are prepared to look at the reality of where we come from and how we've been manipulated and betrayed and everything, and you come out the other end, Um, you know, that's when you can start taking all this stuff, really transmuting it into the real energy that we need as humans to be and become what we really are. So, you know, that's by way, by way of intro, it's, it's a hard journey. Okay. I mean, you know, there's no, there's no sugarcoating the reality that we have been through several millennia of oof, but. Um, uh, But if we're prepared to, you know, I always say there is all these people who prefer to sit in their familiar hell rather than open the window into a potential heaven. You know, if you're prepared to open the window and take that risk of jumping out of what is totally familiar, although it's hellish, then the potential that's on the other side of that window is, is your potential as a human being. And, you know, it is great. And that is why the gods envy us.
2: Right. I always say the devil you know is better than the devil you don't know. And I think because a lot of the material we're going to go through and have been going through is in the unconscious of people, They don't realize how much of an impact it's having on their daily life. They think they have free will, but they don't realize that they're highly programmed due to all the trauma and the programming. And so the unwillingness to look just means you stay uh, on the puppet master's strings. But once you look and you can see the strings, then you're in a position to use your free will to cut the strings. So I think today is a good day for us to become aware of what strings need to be cut. Uh, on a grand scale, or the puppet show continues to go, don't you think?
0: Absolutely, Paul. And, you know, this is where uh, the the whole phenomenon of Jesus, the Jesus, you know, story, comes in really, really important because for the people of the West and indirectly for all the people around the world who've been, uh, you know, either through you know religious missionaries or through the works of the work of capitalism they have been somehow engulfed in the overall sort of a uh, mindset of the Christian West you know that has dominated the world this whole business of Jesus really epitomizes uh, a big big chunk of what you've just said you know so um it'll be It'll be really both important and, I think, enlightening to to consider the story of Jesus as a man. Yes. Well, why don't you go ahead and take us through
2: it? I did my homework and I read that section of your book. And interestingly enough, when I opened the book to read it, I had already read half of it and left myself some notes. So I went, oh, good. I've already been here. So I think that was one of the first things I looked at. When I got the book, because usually I can tell uh, a lot about a person's viewpoints by what their viewpoints on Jesus are, so that's one of my filtrations for books. And uh, (laughs) the good news for you is there was lots of highlights in there.
0: (laughs) Oh, I passed, so I passed the test. Okay, but I mean, it wasn't, you know. There again, you know, Paul, this is another uh, another aspect for which I'm not a specialist in the history of, uh, of of Christianity. You know, like many other aspects that I bring together in the book, I use the work of solid people who've gone really, really, really in depth into this and that theme. Now, I would like to preface, I want to preface what I'm saying, because I know that, you know, especially in America, you know, a a lot of people derive their strength in the present sort of tribulations that people are going through. They derive their strength from their Christian faith. So I want to preface this by saying that the Christian faith, you know, it's it, it for people who sincerely believe it can be a fabulous uh, support and um, tool. And so, you know, I have a huge amount of respect for that. On the other hand, most people in America who are you know, believers in Christianity and in the Bible, they keep quoting the Bible, they are not aware of the really murky and dark history of, you know, that scripture and of the stories and of how much those narratives have been not just tweaked, but, you know, um, rearranged in in, 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 in a substantial way. And so... I have gone to sources who are Italians. Now, you must understand that Italy is the country and the Italian, I mean, what we call the Italy and the Italians today are the peoples and the places that have had the most intimate exposure to the Christian religion because they're right there at at the geographical and, 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 let's say, sociological heart of it as a continuation people also don't often don't realize that the christian religion is a continuation in new clothes of the roman empire which is why okay which is why later on during the middle ages once the christian church developed its uh its hold on major parts of western europe it rebaptized itself it rechristened itself holy Roman Empire. So, you know, this is something that historically Christians need to understand to know what, to really be able to go to the true import of what they believe in. I
2: think it's critical that that you do, uh leave people with the essence of what Christianity really is versus what it has been, Sold to them as or brainwashed into them as. Because I think any true Christian wants to know the truth of Jesus or the truth of Christianity. I know I'm interested in the truth of all world religions. That's why I spent so much time studying them. And I think that there's the truth is really the only thing that can truly set a person free. So if we can orient our discussion towards the elements of Christianity that are good they are legitimate and they are healing and they are beautiful i think that we can keep the scales balanced so that people um don't feel like they've got to defend their programming
0: right absolutely yeah no i mean there's because the programming has to do with once again we go back to the title of the book which is krivda which means crooked truth which is more powerful as a concept if one wants to l- at least look for the truth. You know, I'm not saying that I'm... I'm not a depository of the ultimate truth. I mean, that's, you know... But the essence of a true seeker is to um, is to dig and dig for what... what that inner core knowingness in us can recognize to be okay. Yeah, this this really... This it rings a bell deep in my bones and somehow it awakens my sense of truth. Okay? So this is what I found. Yes, that's okay? the key thing. Right? With these Italian authors that I have used for the whole Christian, you know, the Yahweh story and now for the Jesus story, these people are academically impeccable, you know, even more impeccable perhaps than my little self is and um And at the same time, they have this sensitivity because they've got this history intergenerationally that, you know, their people have been living with at very close quarters. So I really, you know, I trust these people in a maximal way. And the story of Jesus that I found through this historian called Mr. Francesco Esposito just hit me, you know, in between the eyes it moved me to tears, and um, and for me, it made absolutely total sense in terms of peeling away all the layers of Scripture, rewriting, the spiritualization of what is not spiritual in essence, the manipulation, exactly as in the previous era. I mean, what happened with the Jesus story had already happened at the hands of the Hebrew priests, who spiritualized the yahweh story for the purposes of their own nation building in the centuries before Christ you know we remember that the hebrew people they were these wandering people who had been you know treated like bah, like you know like awfully by 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 their warlord overlord yahweh and they were left with nothing but that when yahweh abandoned them he literally abandoned them he stopped appearing you know on his on his on his chariots and with his flaming devices he was no longer there with them and so they were completely orphaned and the priests having nothing but that as a cement for the you know for the, the 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 soul of bringing together this hebrew nation they rewrote and rewrote and spiritualized and embellished the story adding all their own layers of esoteric knowledge and stuff like that now those who did that with the jesus story were the descendants of the same people and the same tradition of rewriting stories for their own purposes, for their own largely political and domination purposes. So, you know, and because this is all tied in with the history of wealth, of money. Okay? You know, this will become clearer later on in the story. Um, The... It's very interesting to know that in the centuries after the death of Jesus, there were huge battles for the next two, three centuries up to the Council of Nicaea in the 4th century. Huge battles between the people, I mean, in the initial decades after Christ, after after the, the death of Jesus, there were these huge battles between the faction of those who had actually known Jesus alive who knew their own truth of that story as they had experienced it, and the upcoming rising faction of Saul of Tarsus, who would become Paul, St. Paul, around whom there was another team of people. And it's important to understand that Saul, renamed Paul, was a Hellenized Jew. He was a high caste Jewish man who,
1: uh,
0: on behalf of the uh, Romans, was a tax collector. Uh, but he was also, by virtue of his high caste, belonging to that category of highborn Jews who were Hellenized. They were um, they were uh, incultured into the uh, late Greek philosophical and Let's say political tradition of the time that was vectored by the Roman Empire. So he was, he was in that elite that was no longer purely Jewish Hebrew, if you like. He was already, you know, so he, he could, he worked in the two sort of worldviews and he was capable of merging the old world, worldview of the Hebrews with the so-called pagan and philosophical worldviews of the ancient Greeks and Romans. You know, which is a kind of very unnatural marriage in terms of, you know, where the two worldviews existed in in their own ethos, respectively. But he, you know, he was bringing these two together and there was already, you know, quite perceptibly this project for the morphing of the decaying Roman Empire into something new thanks to the vehicle of a new religion, which would become the Christian religion based on the story of Jesus, which would be the main stuff for the Gospels. And the Gospels that would be retained by the Church after much infighting amongst the fathers of the Church over those first three centuries, those four Gospels were retained They were written well after the story, you know, the the life of of Jesus. Um, And they were selected amongst many others that were discarded and that were found later on, um, you know, in the 20th century, mid 20th century, with the discovery of the, um, you know, the discoveries in Qumran and in Nag Hammadi, where we found all the apocryphal gospels. And where we found the Gnostic texts, you know, so Esposito takes all that material and he is a rigorous historian. He boils down all the Gospels, the four official Gospels and the other texts to find the common factual denominators, which he puts together to rebuild a very human story of a human guy called Jesus or called Yeshua.
2: I have a question before you go further. How on the how do you know how it was that Saul got
0: named Paul? Uh did he rename himself or did somebody else rename him, you know, who knows. It's just very convenient that you needed to change just, you know, S into P. Um but it's interesting. Do you know
2: do you know what the word Paul means, the name actually means? Uh, uh, nope, no, actually, no. Well, I do because I study names and jo- holy man, Joseph Riel has two or three books on the meanings of words and, and gives a whole book of names. So, of course, I look my name up and I studied each letter. But the word Paul means the messenger.
1: <laughs> and in my
2: studies of Paul. Okay. Historians say he traveled at least 35,000 kilometers on donkey to spread the message of Jesus. So there you go, the messenger. So I always found it was interesting because, you know, names carry the vibration, a specific vibration. Right. And when I figured out what Paul meant immediately, I thought, wow, how weird is it that Saul got named Paul? And I've always wondered how it was they chose Paul when the name means the messenger and that's what he was.
0: Well, then, I mean, thank you for saying that, Paul, because it makes total sense, since he was the main vehicle for the transformation of, you know, of the story of the guy he did not, he never knew in the flesh. And he was bitterly opposed by the, you know, the guys who were the apostles and, you know, their gang, who had actually known the man Jesus, right? So, uh, it makes absolute sense. And... The other interesting thing that this brings to mind is that the word angel, angelos in Greek, also means messenger.
2: Oh, yes, that's right. Angels are
0: messengers, yes. So we've got another tie-in. We've got another tie-in. So we've got these messengers and, you know, we've also got which brings to mind, you know, the issue of the prophets, which they're very close in terms of their function in the Christian religion basically where I need to clarify, you know, that prophet does not mean the guy who foretells the future. It only means it comes from pro fas, which is to speak forth. It is more of a, in the ancient world, much more of a shamanic role. It was the capacity of a person who could go into an altered state of consciousness and could bring back information from the other side of the veil or from the world of spirits. So, you know, in this sense, It's another clarification that we need to make for all the good Christians who today are seeing that, okay, the days of the apocalypse that have been foretold by the prophets are upon us.
2: Yes, but that's also happened so many times. I wonder how many times it's going to take before people start waking up to the fact that they're just projecting their their own myth onto the canvas of reality.
0: It's predictive programming in a way. It is the predictive programming of the priestly people, who are they? They have always known because they, you know, from the ancient Babylonian and Chaldean traditions of astronomy, they knew about the time cycles, you know, um, in in astrology. So they have ma- they had already mapped out in time how things were going to evolve. They already knew that at the time when we are alive. What is now happening had to happen. They didn't know the details of how it would happen. You know, they've been adapting the story as as history went by and as humanity reacted. But basically, they've known for a long time that we are now arriving at a certain type of end times. And they've been preparing for this. But, you know, it's not that the four horses of the apocalypse are going to behave exactly like this, because it depends how we Take the story, how we take the predictive programming exactly in the same way as we're finding that Hollywood predictive programming is now coming true, you know, with all the big robots and all that stuff. It's all predictive programming. If we can understand that and we take the story to be predictive programming, um, both as a timeline for the elites to follow and for us not to take as victims, to be able to be proactive with it, then it becomes much clearer. It becomes much more logical also. It's not mystical. It's completely, you know, logical in the mindset of the gods, which is another perspective that this book t- t- tries to look at. You know, I'm not. we're looking at this from different perspectives. So in this sense, the decaying, you know, the people who already felt that you know, with all the turmoil in the Roman Empire, all the rebellions from the, you know, the, the so-called b- barbarian tribes and, and all the turmoil happening in the, in the, the, the Jewish and Hebrew lands, uh, they knew that if they were going to be able to continue their thing, they, they had to find some really serious, um, other tool other than army domination, heavy taxation, bread and circus. You know, those tools were no longer enough to keep it going and okay you know I- you know even the religions the religions of the ancient gods were being increasingly challenged by the more rationalistic philosophical trends and so the time was ripe for a new refoundation on what would be spiritual grounds and i'm putting air quotes around the word spiritual hence this guy jesus pops up with his particular story and his particular actions, which actually were very dangerous to the Roman Empire and, of course, to the Hebrew priesthood. And to him. (laughs) Well, okay, but I mean, you know, he... So his story became an excellent vector for bringing in all sorts of elements of continuity between the ancient sun gods like we said, you know, in the first episode, the story of Jesus esoterically encodes astrotheology of the trajectory of the sun. So Jesus is remade into a sun god. But the poor man Jesus, if he had known, you know, when he was alive, that he was going to be turned into a fake sun god. <sighs> poor fellow. Um,
2: yeah, well, I tell people all the time, poor Jesus has got to be rolling in his grave in pain looking at everything that's been done in his
0: name. Oh yes, and and you know, m- more than that. I mean, it's it's truly atrocious, you know, if we look at if we look at the at the fullness of it.
2: Hi everybody. I know that you're all aware of the importance of vitamin C. There is a mountain of research on it, but not all C is created equally. I love Paleo Valley's Essential C Complex because it is the real deal, bioavailable. And I wanted you to hear right from Autumn Smith, founder of Paleo Valley, why their essential C-complex is so unique and something you definitely want for your family and your children. Autumn, tell us about your essential C-complex.
0: Well, I was shocked to learn as a holistic nutritionist that 90%, over 90% of the vitamin C on the market is derived from genetically modified corn and then it's processed with highly volatile acids. And so I knew I had to find a better way to get all of the powerful benefits of vitamin C. So what I did was I dove into the research and I found the three most vitamin C rich superfoods on the planet. That's unripe ossarola cherry and camu camu and omlaberry. berry. And then I just packed them into capsules and the benefits are amazing because you're not only getting vitamin C, but all of the other wonderful benefits that come from these amazing superfoods. So to get access to this complex, all you have to do is go to paleovalley.com and you can use the code CHECK 15 at checkout. That's lowercase C-H-E-K-15 and you can save 15% off. Shall we go into what Esposito, you know, the bare bones of what Esposito brings up as a story yep. of a man. Okay. Yeah,
2: give us... Give us, the, give us the story. I, I, I thought it was unique. You know, I've probably read at least fifty books on the, the life of Jesus from every angle, from the atheist to you name it. And I have to say, reading your rendition of Esposito gave me um, a much better sense of something I could believe in, something more real and, like you say, more human and. And I think if I would have read that story or have been taught that story as a child in a Christian church, I would have had a completely different relationship with Jesus. Yeah. Um, it's, I think it's the most possibly real accounting of Jesus that I've ever read. So I'd love to hear you share that with everyone. I think it'll blow people's minds to, to get a, a perspective of Jesus from, from, uh, how it is
0: presented in your book. Right. Yeah. For me, too. I mean, you know, the Jesus that we learned at uh, Sunday school was, just, I mean, it didn't work for me either. So basically, Jesus is born a uh, a bastard. He is uh, the child of uh, Mary, who um, in this very patriarchal society was already betrothed to Joseph from a very young age and um there's a high probability according to esposito that she was actually raped by a roman soldier in the roman you know empire this happened all the time which was common it was common so um okay uh jesus uh, joseph is you know he's a nice guy and He's a respectable guy in the Jewish community, and he's extremely disturbed to find that this young girl who is to be his wife, but she's you know he hadn't yet completely married her she would they were you know not there yet that she's actually now uh, no longer a virgin, and this is terrible for his reputation you know I mean in this really patriarchal society it you know it okay, I don't need to go into detail about you know what a woman was, but so he goes around asking, you know, he goes around asking in the neighborhood, you know, has have you seen her with anybody? Nobody has seen her with anybody. But, you know, rape can happen very quickly in the in, in the bushes when nobody is watching. So anyway, which means that Jesus is born. He is, I mean, his mother is not turned away. Normally, if Joseph had been a little bit more harsh, he would have simply turned away and she would have become whore or she would have died early or I mean you know whatever horrible fate awaited women in that kind of situation so he took her in but in that society everybody else in the neighborhood would no doubt have been whispering about Yeshua being uh, an an illegitimate son and so he grew up with this shame and eventually when he was still you know pretty young probably, he falls into the orbit of his cousin, John the Baptist, who is, you know, of a different branch of the family, John is born of high caste Hebrew parents. The mother is from the lineage uh, of the House of David, if I recall correctly, Um, but I I think she's, you know, directly from that lineage, and the father is a high priest in, in the temple. And so John, John has grown up, you know, with with all the you know recognition and prestige and 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 liberty of agency that Jesus has not had, but they're close. I mean, they like each other, and John, the, John has, like many youth, you know, you can look at this as a kind of parallel to the sixties in America where. Uh, the youth was turning away from the values of, of their you know middle-class parents and going in for being hippies and flower power and, uh, you know, refusing authority. Now, the equivalent to that in those days would have been to jo- go and join any one of the many sort of sectarian Jewish uh, communities that were flourishing all over the place, that were, you know, on a spectrum of religious and political opposition to the Hebrew priesthood and to the Roman empire since they were perceived to be in collusion and they were generating more and more and more of the poverty that the people were suffering from in a way you could look at that situation it you know it strikes me that it's kind of similar to what's happening today you know where there's always more wealth being funneled up to the uber rich and to the uber powerful and you know, the common people and the middle class are becoming increasingly impoverished. And you're seeing the rebellion coming up all over the place today. Same thing then. But there was this very big religious component, you know, in those days when the poor people and the rebels against the official religious political system um, were, I mean, the whole thing was, was was you know, boiling over. Um People were awaiting the Messiah, but it was understood in those days, and this is what people don't understand today in the Christian circles, they were awaiting a double Messiah. One would be a political one and one would be a religious one, exactly duplicating what um, Moses and Aaron had been. One of them was the political leader and the other one was the religious leader which is exactly the same thing as in um, uh, kingdoms where you would have a high priest who is the interlocutor of the gods and who advises the king on what to do under the leadership of the gods. So it's that kind. it's It's a sort of theocratic kind of model. So people were expecting this kind of double messiah. And... John the Baptist had taken, he'd taken, taken off. He'd left home and he'd gone wandering in the desert like many others. He was not exceptional. He was like many others, you know, but he was a very inspired speaker with a lot of charisma and he spoke to people and he was inspired to institute this ritual of baptism, which was basically a ritual, a full immersion in the river in water, to wash away sin. Sin, in that case, did not mean what we understand to be a sin. It was the sin of being, living at the lower echelons of society, in the lower strata, being a pauper, being a nothing, being a worthless human being.
2: Yeah, I want to interject. Also, From my research into this, sin relates to the goddess Sin, which was the moon goddess. And because the witches, who were the ones that prepared the sacraments for what were called the house churches or the religion with no name, which the organized Catholic church was trying to stamp out, which is what led to the witch hunts, so they actually used the word sin to mean anything that was evil, which included anything to do with witches or paganism, so there's there's also that a lot of people don't realize that that word sin relates to the moon and to the witches.
0: Okay, that is Paul. I wouldn't discount that, but there again, um, if you look at other languages, it's not. I mean, the word the words are completely different.
2: The reference for that is The Im- the Immortality Key by Brian Marescu, which is a phenomenal piece of work. The Immortality Key, b- Brian Marescu, it's available on audio. It's absolutely excellent and based on 20 years of hard research and a lot of science. But uh, that's another excellent resource for people wanting to look into the roots of Christianity. And it's got a lot about Jesus that's very fascinating.
0: Okay. this. Whole, this adds an extra layer, for which we need to be very ca- cautious, because I get a feeling—I get increasingly—I get increasingly the feeling that there have been these esoteric layers encoded for different language groups.
2: Possibly, yeah.
0: Yeah, because it, that particular one does not work in other languages. So there are. Yeah, you I don't know, think that's like, unusual, though. No, no, no. no. That, it's not unusual. But look, you know, if you look at the words, let's say, sun, the sun god, and the Son of, of God, it only works in English. So this is the encoding for English speaking Christianity.
2: Yeah, and even if you take the word sun, in Germany, for example, the sun used to be perceived as feminine. I believe in China it was perceived as feminine, but in the no, West it's, it's perceived Japan. as masculine.
0: It's oh, is it it's ja- Yeah, Japan, there's, there's, there's Amatera- multiple countries. Yeah, yeah, Amaterasu is the sun goddess of, of Japan. And it's strange that Germany to this day, it's not in, in old German, it's to this day, Die Sonne is feminine and Mond is masculine for the moon. And this ties in, but this ties into very ancient esoteric truths that we shall be looking into much later. Okay, which I i've found in indian tantra great i study tantra a
2: lot too that'll be fun
0: so that's 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 you know that's later on in the journey um so (laughs) i'm
2: excited let's keep going i'm sorry i just (laughs) wanted to interject that there because i think you know we're talking about sin and i've looked into the word a lot because it's it's so pivotal you know as a therapist i've dealt with countless people I track their disease right back to the belief that they'd sinned throughout their life, yeah. and so I uh, I have a pretty good exposé of books and research that I lay in front of them so they can actually see that they've been tricked.
0: Right, but it's interesting. It's fascinating that you should have mentioned that, and that you should really that you mentioned the relation to a goddess of the moon called Sin. But in Asian traditions, if we consider that the Moon would have been considered to be a male entity. What extra level of esoteric foolery has been introduced there?
2: I don't know. That was, I believe, the, that's the Greek tradition. I think that sin comes from.
0: I need. Yeah, okay, I'll need to check on that. I'm. A, I don't. I don't know about that. But it's. It's fascinating. I mean, Paul, what this illustrates is that. You know, we may never get to the ultimate truth of how many layers of obfuscation, of encoding, of mixing of real truth and krivda truth. How many layers are there? You know, we can get lost in the weeds, right?
2: Well, you know what? Here's the technique that I teach people and that I use whenever you're dealing with multiple layers of coding and often conflicting information. And this is probably one of the most important techniques you can use to navigate your whole life. And it's this simple. Use your heart to feel what you know, not your head. Drop down into your heart. And when something rings true in your heart, then stay with it until something rings more true to your heart. Because your head is very easy to deceive. (laughs)
0: You took the words out of my mouth, Paul. I would say exactly the same thing. Uh, The problem being that it is very difficult for people who have been encoded and entrained to operate only in the head. They don't know how to go down in the heart. So that's that's another journey. Anyway.
2: It just goes to show you there's good things in your mouth. (laughs) Uh
0: Provided the mouth is connected to the heart. Oh. Uh
2: Yes, yes. Well, yeah, uh, uh every now and then I've got to interject just because I'm a student and I'm also someone who study this stuff a lot. So, I want to either find out for my own purposes or ask questions or throw another element that might be useful to the dialogue. So, No, it's fantastic. Please continue. It's a fascinating story.
0: It's fantastic, Paul. I mean, it's fantastic that, you know, from your studies that have I mean, basically, you've studied a lot of stuff that I haven't studied, and I've studied a lot of stuff that you haven't studied, and we come to exactly the same point. Right, that's what's which fun. I think should be interesting for people in terms of its validation uh, potential. You know, it's not just you coming up with your interpretations and me with my own and, you know, other people with their own. When, from different perspectives, we all reach the same point, that we can all validate in our own well-exercised hearts um, then I think people should pay attention, you know anyway end of uh end of whatever this was digression digression it was a digression into the heart of the matter um, so okay, at this point, so John the Baptist is having tremendous success with this baptism christening not, it wasn't called christening because Christ didn't yet exist as such. Uh, although, no, actually, you know, it could, we could consider that it was already a christening because christening means anointing. So, you know, people were being washed of the sin of being lowly, uh, lowly you know, pieces of garbage at the bottom end of society, um, and they emerged from this thing as fully human, And what Esposito points out, that the significant thing is that while they were being doused, you know, they were being showered with water, they would scream out their sins. Now, this is interpreted as they have confessed their wrongdoings. No! Esposito takes pains to point out that they screamed in jubilation. I'm such a pauper. I'm such a piece of shit at the bottom end of society. They were in jubilation because they were getting rid of that stigma. Now that's the first thing that Esposito brings out so clearly. That now if you take that and you know all of us who are being ill-treated by the system now, if we could go into a river and all together scream in jubilation i am no longer a slave of the taxation system you know i mean can you imagine the power that it would have i am no longer as long as
2: they behave that way after the after the uh, baptism
0: okay i mean you know we are 2000 years uh, later so we've been much more indoctrinated those people 2000 years ago you know if you can if you can try and imagine the the boiling cauldron of rebellion that was happening in in Judea, in, in Galilee in those days. And, you know, the many, 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 all these minds, you know, seeking for a different way to believe in their, in their deity and to, you know, have dignified lives and not to live in poverty. You know, if you can put yourself back in that situation, I can well imagine, you know, the enthusiastic joy of those people getting rid of their stigma by being... By being baptized. So Jesus took the same ritual, came out of there a new man. He was no longer a bastard despised by the whole of society. He was not particularly close to his mother anyway, because she, had, she was the other part of that, of that stigma. And um, John took him under his wing and they started, you know, going around all over the place preaching as a tandem. Of the double Messiah, where Jesus was the political Messiah and John was the religious Messiah. That's crucial. Jesus, you know, he was not going around with, you know, just the spiritualized message that we get later on. He was the political side of the double Messiah, right? So then he, you know, and he, he ends up having a considerable sort of charismatic talent and you know they really you know they are immensely popular the two of them together and the authorities get kind of worried so they figure you know they look at at the at the at the pair and they see that uh, well John is the is probably the more eloquent of the two because he's high born he's better educated and he's the priestly side of the, of the dual messiah, and so he's arrested and he's, while well, he's in jail, well, you know, Jesus continues on his own and then, you know, news comes to him that John is killed and most of the following of the double messiah vanishes. So then Jesus understands that he has to continue on his own. He's not going to go back to his old life of being, you know, at the, at the dregs of society He understands that he has to take on this double Messiah function on his own. And this is when, you know, the the main three years of his preaching uh, career take place. He understands that he has to adapt his message. He can no longer be the firebrand predicator, preacher, sorry, preacher that he was with uh, along with John. He softens the tone of his message and he... Goes into much more, a much more, let's say, humane uh, message, including you know, for the protection of the children, and he attra- starts to attract high caste people uh, who are beginning to be disenCHANTed with the system, and so he starts getting donations from rich people, and he becomes increasingly, increasingly, increasingly popular. And, okay, he starts to attract the attention of the authorities. And he understands that, okay, now, you know, things are coming to a certain point of culmination. And I have to do something big. And so Easter is approaching. Passover is approaching. So he and his followers uh, devise a plan to do some big thing at the temple at Passover. And so then comes this, the um, most heavily charged scene. You know, the big first charge scene is his christening and becoming a full human with full human dignity. And the other big scene is in the temple. When he comes in with his followers, the temple is teeming with soldiers of the Roman army, you know, believers, priests. I mean, it's absolutely packed with people. And Jesus comes in and he overturns the the tables of the bankers and the moneylenders that are at the temple. And this is extremely significant because this is the dual Messiah. You know, he's saying that, you know, the whole business of religion, which was not yet called religion in those days, I may remind you, um, the whole business of relating to God should have nothing to do with the whole money business, and he is also being political in terms of taking upon himself the power to, you know, to symbolically throw out the power of 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 the the bankster class, right? As Joseph Farrell would would call them. And um, okay, you know, all hell erupt in the temple, you know, the army, the soldiers, etc. Je- Jesus manages to escape with his followers. And, um, and basically, you know, they know that they've failed. Did they expect that God would come in his fiery chariot to save them? Who knows? You know, we don't know. That's not part of the story. But basically, they managed to escape with their lives. They go and have their last supper. And um, Esposito believes that it's the whole, it's all the followers of Jesus together who betray him to the Roman authorities, because they realize that they are in danger now. You know, the Roman authorities and the Hebrew priesthood know that they are the followers of this dangerous guy. And... They don't. They know that there's going to be a terrible punishment for this, and they don't want to be lumped into this punishment. And so they betray their leader to the authorities. It's not just Judas. It makes more sense to consider that all of them, in trying to sort of save their skins, would have betrayed him. And so, you know, then comes his torture on the cross and his death.
2: Many of you are aware of the importance of magnesium, but very few are aware that most of the magnesium products out there are not high quality and seldom do what they say they'll do on the bottle or the package. But Bioptimizers has produced the most comprehensive magnesium breakthrough product on the market. I've got Wade here to tell us a little bit about it. Wade, what makes your magnesium breakthrough
3: product so unique? Well, I think because we combine a variety of magnesiums, in fact, we use seven different types. So if you look at all the research papers out there, you'll see that they'll use various magnesiums, whether it's orotate, malate, you know, sucrosomial is a hot one that's just come out recently and they're rated on bioavailability. But the biggest component that a lot of people don't understand with magnesium is that different types of magnesium are uptaken By different parts of the body or different organs, some in your brain, some in your nervous system, some are vasodilators. And so there's a variance in people's responses depending on what they need magnesium for. So we went out to try and solve this problem by combining all seven of the best magnesiums into one single capsule, which was very difficult because number one, the bonding size was different. The nozzles for the machines wouldn't work. We don't use any fillers or uh, chemical uh, excipients, that's the flow regulators. And then we got them in the caps and the caps rose. we had to do special caps. But when we solved all those problems and turned it out for ourselves, because we were tired of buying, and I had a whole counter full of magnesiums. Well, guess what? A lot of people said this was the best magnesium product they've ever taken. And after being in this business for 18 years, it's quickly moved to our number one selling product in Bioptimizer history. What are just two or three things that magnesium is really supportive of? I know sleep challenges is one of them. What are some of the other key issues? Well, it acts as a down regulator for your nervous system to kind of help you relax and go into, you know, out of fight or flight. And that's the biggest factor, especially today in a in a high blue light, electromagnetic frequency world that we find ourselves in a high stimulus environment. It's also critical for vasodilation. And vasodilation increases blood flow. And many times when we are suffering from a variety of pain or conditions in the body, it's because we're not getting oxygen in or toxins out of those tissues. And you've written a lot about it in your work. And so magnesium breakthrough, because it's so powerful and not available uh, in most North American diets because of what we've done with farming. Uh, it's a great way to augment your diet, and it's easy to get. You go to MagnesiumBreakthrough.com or MagBreakthrough.com slash Living4D. You can get a 10% discount, and it's a money-back guarantee. If it's not the best magnesium you've ever taken, you get your money back.
2: Mag, M-A-G, Breakthrough.com, MagBreakthrough.com forward slash Living4D. And is there a discount for the listeners? 10%.
3: For all right. All, the
2: listeners. all right. Give it a go, you guys. Everything I use from Bioptimizers is the best I've ever used. That's why I love Wade and Bioptimizers. So you've heard how it's made, why it's made, and how it works. If you want the best, go get it. Well, you know, one of the things that in my studies and observations is a very dangerous mix, is politics and religion. And it's interesting that you're speaking of a double Messiah with John as the spiritual and Jesus as the political, because right there you see the marriage of two very dangerous concepts together. I'm curious as to your thoughts on that.
0: Yes, but in the old days, I mean, that's over 2,000 years ago.
2: Where That's what concerns me.
0: Okay, (laughs) no, Paul, in those days... For the Hebrew the Hebrew people had gone through a history where their leadership was a, mostly a dual leadership of a king and a high priest. And in those days people had lost the sense that they could be self-governing communities. The sense of being able to become self-governing communities was happening in the sectarian Movements that were happening all over that area, in particular the Essenes, into which it's quite clear from the apocryphal texts that Jesus had been initiated. So, you know, Jesus was aware of all the alternative visions of religion, but at the same time, if he was going to appeal to more than just the Essene group, or this or other gnostic group if he was to appeal to the nation of hebrews of jewish people at the time who were not all you know in that in that mindset he still had to use that concept in the concept of the 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 ancient concept of king and priest the king is advised by the priest who is deemed to be a holy man, we now can have our reservations about that. But back in those days, it was understood that the priest was the guy who could have a, you know, he could have a chit-chat with God and bring the real, whatever, words of God to the priest to govern the nation correctly. Okay? So it's a different worldview from ours. Those people had already been, you know, in that kind of system. And could the the whole of the Hebrew nation envision itself as a self-organizing community without a king, without priests? Um, Probably not. Probably not. You know, in that world, I don't see that happening. But you could, in that world, as you could in India, you know, and still to this day, if organized society didn't suit you, you could go off in the desert and, you know, be your... Itself and um, uh, you know, and you know, do your own thing spiritually in the desert, as long as you didn't disturb the political authorities. What was interesting here was that Jesus was pointing at the core poison of the political institution, which is the bankers, the money issue. Okay, and in this he had an. A deep, deep inspiration that must have come to him from very far away because this brings us into another important point as to the birth of the religion of the modern money god. The invention of money, the false money, the printed money, the fiat money that we so lament over today goes back to Babylonian times. The beginning of the banker institution began in the shadow of the temples of Babylonian times, Mesopotamian times. That's where it goes back to. And that's where the Hebrew priests, when they were exiled in Babylonia, according to the research of Joseph Farrell, another one of my major sources, um, that's where the Jewish Hebrew people in exile picked up the banking tricks of the ancient Mesopotamians that had been developed in the shadow of the temple that gave a certain aura of sanctity to the creation of money. The minting of money and the stamping of money down into the days of the Roman Empire was done in temples. So you have this very ancient relationship between what I call temple religion, God religion, religious religion and what we would today call the secular religion of what today becomes for us the god of money okay so this is where the gesture of christ on the day of passover in the temple of jerusalem overturning the tables of the money lenders and bankers is so crucial he symbolically was signaling the need to separate the businesses, the, you know, the aspect of business and fake money that impoverishes the material life of the people by having its collusion with the spiritual authorities that thereby um, give their sanction of approval, their seal of approval to something that impoverishes the life of the people and in a vicious loop the people are beholden to the religion for the for, for their for the life of their soul the people are impoverished both religiously and monetarily by these two powers in collusion jesus understood this
2: was it the interest rates that they were charging or what, how was it that being lent money by the money gods of of that day were were uh, degrading the humanity of the people what was the it was the uh, imbalance
0: okay this brings up a really crucial point it's the issue of debt the beginning of the beginning of the creation of false money is back in mesopotamia where you had the gold that was real money but the gold would never be in the hands of the little people i mean you know little people only ever used small amounts of money um when you have if you put this in the context of the development of organized stratified societies where the little people are basically a peasant class that produces the the grain the material basic wealth that feeds the empire and based on which the empire will use the stuff that is made by the peasant and artisan class for trading and acquiring profit, whenever there is a bad harvest, the peasants, who don't have a safety net of any kind, need to go and borrow money. Now, the the original bankers in the shadow of the temples would issue false money as debt to the lent to the borrowers who would return real money to the bankers who would thus, you know, make more and more money. And another point is, I mean, you know, I'm not a specialist in monetary affairs, but as far as I understand, there is the the real gold that was kept in the temples and used for, you know, big, the business of state. And there were the tokens which were pieces of well it could be clay tablets or it could be anything else that would be a you know a representation of money mm-hmm. which was already the first uh, you know a form of virtualized money that we have integrated as okay as paper money and the bankers would play you know at the interface between these two the real money and the fake money that they were issuing and using the fake money they could bring in exactly like today you take out a house loan they're going to issue fake money to you which is simply an entry you know in a database but you are going to pay back to them interest which is the real money that comes from your real work in the real world the same that was invented 5000 years ago okay and so now jesus jesus did not understand those tricks of the bankers. Nobody understood those tricks except the bankers. This was a well-kept secret, right? But he understood the intrinsic destructiveness and dehumanization, the creation of poverty, both in terms of monetary poverty and of poverty of human dignity that the collusion of the temple and the priests generated. Okay, that's the core thing that we need to understand. That the issue of poverty is not, it's not just monetary poverty. You, bri- you put that in relation to the ritual of baptism in the river where they jubilantly exclaim, scream out their sin of being the dregs of society, the poor. Okay, they shed the sin of being poor. Okay, and I put this, I relate this to the very striking, the thing that struck me when I was in India was that initially when I was in India, being poor was no problem. It was really no problem. It was actually, you know, it was it was good because you did not fetter yourself with material goods. You would be able to go through the, you know, the, the needle more easily than the rich guy with all his camels. So while, you know, I became aware of Indira Gandhi's slogan of launching war on poverty which came from the development world the development propaganda where poverty became a sin it became a sin including for the indian people for whom it had never been a problem and it, if you get you get my point you can make all these connections across time
2: how did they get that influence was it christian influence coming into india that was shifting them into poverty as sin
0: it's in the 70s when the discourse of development which we shall talk about later became really really big when you know the lived reality of poor people with whom i have lived you know for the past 25 years you know and this is a this is a little thing that i that i give as a vignette at the beginning of the book When I arrived in India in 1995, I encountered many poor people in the rural society and the artisan society. They, as long as they had enough, a tiny plot of land where they could grow enough rice for their family and, you know, whatever bits and pieces, and they had some skill that they could market, they needed very, very little money. And they had a phenomenal spiritual life. They had lots of time to talk about the Bhagavad Gita, the dealings and the, you know whatever Krishna did with Radha and things like that and they were happy people within five years those were the five years when India really became globalized these same people came to me with an open hand like that saying we are poor and I could see that they were beginning to feel what Jesus must have felt that it was a sin to be poor. They had by then internalized what Indira Gandhi had launched in the 70s, the war on poverty. Because if you really didn't have enough money, um, you could no longer, you couldn't afford a TV set, you couldn't afford all the things that were becoming desirable. You know, the whole thing goes together. So, uh, you know, and within that same time frame, my esoteric friends, to whom I had gone, introducing myself as a seemingly rich, educated, high-caste foreigner. I I had introduced myself as somebody who was poor in terms of wisdom, and would they take me in? And they took me in because I was clear about the fact that I was poor in wisdom, and they were rich in wisdom. Within five years, those same people told me, they said, well, now it's the god of money that has superseded all the others superseded so all the others. Consequently, we are now poor. And they called it the god of money. You know, I haven't invented this term. It's from those people. It's from the wisdom of the grassroots people of out there in India. That, you know, yes, of course, it's the god of money that has come into the, um, the mold that has been so well established by the religious religion that we've completely internalized the system, you know, within the deep subconscious of humankind, when we no longer believed in God in the West, well, the God of money naturally took the same position in a secular form with all the same elements of a structure of religion. I mean, you look at the, you know, the people who are heading the central banks, and the big international institutions, the IMFs and things like that, you look at the big um, institutional investors, they are all behaving like the high priests of religion. They manipulate the esoteric occult um, doings of the religion of money. And we are completely uh, locked into their system. We're We're totally dependent on their saving us. Look at all the money printing now, you know, looking, handing out, um, you know, these um, COVID stimulus packages, yeah, stimulus packages, money that they hold is now the savior, because we have learned that without money, we cannot be saved. It's, it's phenomenal. If you look at the parallels, you cannot, you know, once you see them, you cannot unsee them.
2: Yeah, that's. You know, the paradox of all this, one of many, is that real value is in real tangible goods. It it could be gold, but it could also be resources, whether it be metals or whether it be food or water or something tangible. And we have a really interesting situation in the world right now where the money gods are playing games and saying things like Klaus Schwab says you'll own nothing and, and and you'll love it and you know meanwhile they're going to become even more and more and more rich which means more power to destroy the environment while they're claiming they're doing this to protect the environment but so what 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 i'm lending this toward leading toward is that the system has trapped us in the illusion of safety and the illusion of wealth, and in the belief that money is what creates safety. But when the system begins to break down, if you don't have something tangible, then you're really susceptible to manipulation by the money gods because they have you if you believe you're had. But if you're someone like me that was smart enough to go live, move where I had 14 acres of land and has vegetables and, and we're setting ourselves up so we're completely self contained, then I, I'm not nearly as susceptible to the game, which is exactly why I'm out here. And so, if there's a warning I could share with everybody, if you're paying attention to what's going on around you and what's been going on in cycles for thousands of years, these same cycles of destruction uh, take people's belongings away buy it on pennies on the dollar, sell it it back to them at huge interest when you boost the economy. It's just a silly game they've been doing for a long, long time. But if you understand the game, then you understand that right now is a very dangerous time in the world to be away from real tangible resources such as food, water, um, things that you need to survive on because these guys can shut off the power, they can shut off the food supply. In supermarkets, they can shut off your bank accounts. They can shut off the electricity because they own all those institutions, which is why I tried to highlight that in my my video program, Why Kings Kill Your Children. <clears throat> so we have to reinvent our own monetary system, which I think is going to take us right back to a bartering system of goods and services, or you're going to end up being uh sucked right into their electronic prison.
0: Yes. And uh, yeah, what you say, Paul, brings up many, many, many points. That sentence that you quote, you know, you will own nothing and you will be happy. This is deep, deep esoteric magic when he says that. <laughs> yeah, Because, wait a minute, think back, there have always been those people who could who were dissatisfied with society, they were not finding food for their soul, and they would go out in the desert or the jungle, you know, depending on your geography, and they would go and seek, and they had nothing, and they were happy, okay? But they were still living, they were living in the natural world of the desert, of the jungle. They could live off roots or, you know, and the peasant societies around them, recognizing their importance you know, for the spiritual life of the community would feed them. Now, the thing is that value, you mentioned value at the beginning of what you just said. Um, Value has been taken out of real things and real services and reality. Value is all being taken and it's been taken for millennia by the money God out of real stuff and put into fake stuff. So now... You, I mean, you're gonna you're gonna make a good income if you work for a you know for a high tech company working in the gaming or or you know wh- whatever virtual reality industry. Drugs. <laughs> I mean, a- anything that takes us away from from, from you know real value. Uh, furthermore, value for real things, as opposed to value for fake things, we need to bring it back to the original meaning of value which had much more of a moral, immaterial meaning. It had, it had to do with the strength, the bravery, the moral fiber of people. A valorous person, uh, you know, they used to be knights of valor. They, these were, you know, the knights in shining armor who would, uh, who would be the true aristocrats of the, of the olden days. So, you know, and we, look at them, we've got values. What are my values? Love, family, you know, beauty, whatever. But what do I give value to? I value my values over the value of the time I give to work that does not give me value for the work that I actually perform. We've got this confusion. And this is another piece of word spell by the money gods. In collusion with the religion gods, because our values have to do with our spiritual values, our moral values, our human values, and it you know goes into value for money or uh, you know this life has no value.
2: Yeah, well, it's it's a, also a huge problem of morality. I mean, people people have gotten so far from morality. You know, morals are codes of conduct that are life affirmative. Ethics are just values that are are not necessarily life affirmative at all. So when when people live in ways that are using the very technology that's brainwashing them and deceiving them, they don't realize what they're doing is actually immoral because it decreases their own survivability. And that's one of the problems with technology and science. Science has no morals whatsoever. So we build nuclear weapons and microwave ovens that are touted as good and make your life easier, but they give you cancer and, and, and on and on and on and on. So I think, uh, part of what we have to get a reacquaintance with as we are in this transition right now is what is valuable and what is moral, because without a clear understanding of value and morality, you can't really have a, you you don't have a sense of direction in your life anymore. Now you're very susceptible to manipulation.
0: Yes. But we have to understand, Paul, I mean, you know, people like you and I have been able to navigate these things and to build some kind of self-sufficiency for ourselves. You know, people who have not been in the same kind of position for whatever reasons, um, who have gone to live in the big ci- big cities because that's where economic opportunity was, Because because we have all inherited the conditioning of our... Lowliness, helplessness, sinfulness, you know, the whole religious thing of our depending on a savior, okay, it used to be whatever, I mean, whatever savior, whatever religion wants to give you, which is now, you know, without money, you cannot save yourself. So it's really difficult for people to understand this conditioning, which resides deep in our subconscious. You know, you really need to go through a very, very big, weird journey um, to be able to, to understand that. If we understand that... The, well, here that we the, all are. <laughs> well, exactly. If you, but if, if we can understand and accept, I know it's hard to accept for people who, under, who think they are religious. It's hard to accept that the whole money system is a religion that operates... Because its bed was well made by the religion, especially of 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 Christianity, on the back of Christ, who precisely denounced that that basic problem. Because I mean, you know, we how can we how can you defend your moral values if you are starving? You know, if it's a matter of survival. You know, why do so many poor people give away their children in slavery? It breaks their heart, but they may need to do that to be able to feed the other kids. I mean, you know, if one tries to put oneself in the place of people who are truly good humans, moral humans, but who are reduced to that kind of situation, and of those people there have been zillions over, you know, the centuries of history, it's I mean, you know, it breaks my heart to contemplate that kind of, that kind of situation. I have not had to do that in this life. But if you understand, you know, there is no food to feed my family and somebody is prepared to buy wine of my kids so that I can feed my family, the rest of my family for a week. What do you do? This is where this, this, the, you know, the whole business of value and values at the, at the junction of our moral humanity and of the religion of money, it really is a poisonous, it's a poisonous nexus.
2: It is. It's very poisonous. And and just to show you how immoral this whole Great Reset and Klaus Schwab's little game is and, and all of his little sick buddies is the, these people are, some of them may be trillionaires. Uh, they, they may be more than more than multi-multi-billionaires, and I'm sure they are, because uh, von Donasheva's Shiva's book, Oneness versus the 1%, shows how much money is traded between two or three of Bill Gates' big companies. It's in the trillions a year. So the point I'm driving at is we've got almost 2 billion people in the world right now that don't have a pot to piss in. They don't have water. They don't have food. And these guys have the money to feed these people, rehabilitate the soils, clean the skies, get rid of fossil fuels and use advanced technologies. But they're not doing a damn thing for anybody except themselves. And I think, you know, when you realize that and you realize these are the same people telling you about, you've got to get this vaccination and we're having this pandemic. Nobody's ever seen any hard evidence that this pandemic's even real it's all just propaganda and mo- stories on television and i won't go on further on that because i can just annihilate the whole damn thing with common sense but the point i'm making at is you i don't see a shred of moral value and none of these guys i've read entire books on the fact that if you want to find out who's destroying society follow the philanthropy all you got to do is look who's giving up piles of money and there's almost always A gimmick going on that creates an illusion of Bill Gates as a nice guy or so-and-so as a nice guy. And even having looked into Andrew Carnegie, who at one time I thought was someone who was a humanitarian, but when I started finding out that he was funding research into how to manipulate the human genome a very long time ago, and that science is being used against us right now, you realize that you have to be extremely careful of believing what you see without doing a lot of legwork to figure out what's really going on and so we're in a time of dangerously low levels of morality coupled with dangerously advanced technologies that manipulate people's
0: minds absolutely and you know by the way uh, alongside the issue of you know value and values as a poisonous nexus in people's minds when they don't know you know what the words really mean philanthropy i mean <laughs> i mean you know that's another piece of word spell philo love anthropy, human being what they're oh, doing how
2: cool is that
0: what they're doing in the name of loving human beings it's you know it's it's the tough love of the uh of the sacrificer
2: yeah, really, we're being harvested like animals. That's all it boils down to.
0: And we, this brings us right back to what they used to do with infant sacrifice.
2: Did you know that symbiotica means harmony? And you're really likely to enjoy my podcast with Chervine Jaferia, the founder of Symbiotica. Symbiotica is an amazing company that makes excellent products to aid healing, enhance longevity, and improve performance at all levels of your being, from your spiritual practices to your athletic endeavors. I highly recommend you go to symbiotica.com and check out their top-notch organically sourced products that include excellent tasting supplements like their Synergy Vitamin B12, which elevates energy naturally, to their J Minerals, which help you better regulate your hormonal system. Their biocharge-activated coconut charcoal is an excellent detox support and removes toxins and poisons from the body quickly and non-invasively. Their organic longevity formula is one of my friends' and students' favorites. They rave about it. I really enjoy their Regenesis Liposomal Glutathione for its amazing antioxidant powers, which is really helpful for anyone that enjoys vaporizing tobacco and herbs like I do. They also have great immune support products, water filtration options for drinking and showering, and some cool clothing, and more. When you go to C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A and use your Living4D discount code, which is capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K, 15 on checkout, you get 15% off anything they sell, and you won't be disappointed. Enjoy Symbiotica.
0: The History of Religion is a matter of, you know, the building of civilizations and their maintenance on the backs of all the toiling masses who can be, whose work can be sacrificed, you know, for free in slavery uh, or uh, for, you know, next to no money in whatever other exploitative system. And beyond their toil, you know, um, using... Their esoteric energy and all the other aspects of sacrifice and the sacrifice of what we call natural resources, you know, which uh, amongst which we are now lumped, you know, in the vocabulary that we have internalized. All of us human beings are human resources and we have become human capital and we are now securitized thematically. Um, you know, with the big gambles on whether this or that uh, demographic is going to fall sick within such and such a time frame of such and such a, di- a disease. And big money is going to be made on the back of us as securitized human capital. So if that doesn't tell people that we are completely commodified, dehumanized, sacrificial, I don't know what it takes for people to understand. But back to the Jesus story. Jesus gave us those keys to understand those things, okay? And it is in this sense that Jesus is the friend of all of us, the brother of all of us. I mean, when I read the story as rendered by um, Francisco Esposito, I wept because I could recognize a human being. And what is so interesting also, now we've, you know, there's the crucifixion. The crucifixion is interpreted in the spiritual version, you know, of the gospels as the Son of God being sacrificed by God the Father. Another piece of sacrifice by a father of his son. What kind of an unnatural father is that? To redeem the sins.
2: It's a Yahweh type father.
0: (laughs) Well, sure, but I mean, it tells you it it. It encodes here very clearly the sacrificial mentality of the whole bloody religion, right? But yeah, oh, yes,
2: absolutely.
0: But this—I mean—we need to spell it out clearly, with all due respect for the faith of Christians, that they've been—they've been—they've been shown the, the wrong way into their belief, the actual belief. If you can take Jesus as. The epitome of a poor guy who claimed his dignity and wanted to claim it for his brethren and who saw the collusion of the money and the religion gods and who was crucified as a political danger to the Roman Empire. The inscriptions, the inscription, you know, um, uh, where it says, cac This man is crucified here with cac. Two other um, wrongdoers, uh, bandits. Kakurgoi had a political meaning in those days. They were not thieves, okay, contrary to what we've been told. And so he was crucified because he was severely disrupting uh, you know, the workings of, of the Roman Empire and fomenting too much trouble in, uh, in the very important colony of, um, of uh, Judea and Galilee. So he was politically sacrificed but this well, killed basically. But this was taken over in the narrative of the church and spiritualized exactly as they had spiritualized the Yahweh story before Jesus they spiritualized this story. Okay? so So there we are. And you know, then We have, I have the greatest difficulty imagining that Jesus, you know, at the Last Supper actually said to his disciples or friends or whoever they were, take this piece of bread and this cup of wine, eat it and drink it for it is my flesh and my blood. I have the greatest difficulty imagining that this kind of guy would have offered himself up as a as a human sacrifice to be consumed cannibalistically forever and ever. It doesn't make sense, but it makes sense in the sacrificial mentality.
2: Yeah. Um, The perspective on that, that's shared in the immortality key by Brian Marescu is that the um, sacrament is, is really the wine and the sacrament were, were actually the Eucharist, which was the vehicle that was used to bring people into altered states so that they could realize that there is a spiritual dimension and that they can live beyond death. So the eating of the body was really meant from Marescu's perspective, if I'm remembering it right, that it was to bring in the sacrament to reconnect yourself to the higher truths of the spiritual life and the uh, in the immortality of the human soul as opposed to uh the physical body
0: yeah paul with all due respect people two thousand years ago were extremely well acquainted with those altered states they didn't need to be remembered in such a an encoded fashion they didn't need that
2: well i don't i'm not i'm not disagreeing with you i'm just saying there's just other perspectives on it that's
0: all sure i mean that's a possibility but If you look at the continuity of sacrifice as an essential element in the, in the, in the religious setup and that we're seeing all the way to today. Okay. It is, it, you know, sacrifice of infants to, um, uh, Moloch, sacrifice of infants to Yahweh, sacrifice of the son of God. To what we don't know, it's not specified, but it's for the perpetual redemption of our sins. And we're talking about the narrative in which Christians believe Um, and, and the attribution of those words to Jesus so that people would devoutly be partaking of, I mean, you know, I... When people take the, Euchar- the Eucharist today, does it put them in altered states of consciousness that makes them more aware of their spirituality? I don't know. It, You know, when I was a kid, raised Catholic, and I was given the Eucharist, it never did that for me.
2: Well, they're only just getting gluten intolerance. It's not a real Eucharist. That's <laughs> part of the whole point of what Brian Marescu is showing, that what they're doing today is, is, is worse than fake. It's not even what it was meant to be. They're just eating they're just playing a stupid game i hate you know i don't mean to say that the whole the religion at the core is stupid but the game that they're playing without realizing what's going on and what it actually is a replacement for it would be like if i gave you uh, pebbles instead of money and made you believe that you could really buy something with it after you'd worked for me for a month or something you know
0: yeah 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 but i mean why would you need to have this you know, even if it is a connection to an altered state of consciousness, why would you need to have it mediated by the figure of Jesus? You know, I mean, that to me... When people go into an altered state of consciousness, they go there, you know, pretty directly. You don't need... You don't need a particular... Well, yeah, if you've deified the figure, perhaps you need to sort of have the... You know, a trigger through... A particular figure in this case Jesus to get there but I mean it's that's a more convoluted uh, interpretation although you know no interpretation can be discarded actually there are so many interpretations of the whole Jesus story and the mystics of it and this that and the other none of them can be discarded and they all have elements of truth however for our purposes it's really a story of human dignity that was appropriated okay by this new religion that was going to re-establish, re-found the Roman Empire on a new, on a new basis, on a spiritual base, spiritual, spiritualistic basis, making spiritual what Jesus had not made spiritual. You know? And so uh, from that point of view, t- to me, frankly, from, from a human, humane, humanistic, anthropological perspective, Jesus being killed, tortured and killed as a political danger to the Roman Empire, um, being turned into a perpetual sacrifice of which devout Christians partake every Sunday or whatever, um, believing that they are being saved by the perpetual sacrifice of this guy. I mean, you were saying earlier, you know, Jesus must be turning over in his grave. It's the soul of Jesus. I mean, if I'm looking at it at at a soul level, It's the soul. The soul of Jesus is not allowed to go on its own journey. Okay. In in shamanistic terms, the soul of Jesus is trapped forever in this occult ritual.
2: Yeah, I understand that. In in quantum physics, they would say he's
0: highly entangled with a false ritual. Uh, Absolutely. That's a yeah. Fine. Great. I mean, you know, I hope that makes makes it more understandable to people. I mean, you know, at the subtle level, to me, this is a crime against a particular human who is representative of all of us, who is made to be our scapegoat and our savior. I mean, what was done to Jesus and to the essence of this man, Jesus? As a man, as a human being, it hurts me as a human being. So, you know, in that sense, yes, I partake of the essence of Jesus. This is our shared humanity
2: yeah it's the the other uh, trick hidden in this whole thing with jesus bearing the cross is that what people don't realize is that the story programs people to continue to bear the cross under the rulership of what was the roman empire but now is the empire of the new money gods which is The Bill Gates and the secret organizations and Google and BlackRock and and all these you know secret families and things like that, but you you see my point is that we're still under the same influence and we're still carrying the cross and we're still being punished for any sin, which is you know what is censorship? It's them saying that you're sinning by going against our narrative. How is that anything different than Jesus? Uh, telling the truth and then being crucified exactly
0: for it. exactly i mean you can see so many parallels in the real human life that we are living now with those details of the real if we take the story of jesus to be a real human life such as esposito has has brought it to light um it's absolutely smashing but jesus did not carry that cross because he was sinning he carries the cross. As a sacrificial victim to save us all, we need to say to help him carry the cross because we are all implicit sinners. We are in debt, and this brings us into the the nexus of sin and debt. We are forever monetary debts, and we are forever religiously indebted to Jesus for forever saving us, redeeming us for our sins. The whole thing, the circular. Um, I mean you know this is a snake that keeps biting it's no it's not a snake it's more like a hydra that has many tails and it bites it's many tails and all of this goes back to the same head it's it is so intertwined there are so many levels encoded in this I mean Paul can you wonder why people are confused and
2: oh I I totally get it It's, it's, it's all of this confusion that drove me absolutely fucking bonkers and I'm like I, I could not, for the life of me, see how people could buy into this, and I found these beliefs at the core of so many people's health problems and relationship problems that I had to study world religion. I had to study Christianity. I had to study all of them. I had to study philosophy of religion. I, I had to put a lot of work into understanding the roots of all this so i could see what is it that what is the mind virus that has a person believing in such way that they make choices that ultimately destroy their own health and their own relationships and believe that god is going to burn them in hell while they're already in hell and as i would tell people you don't realize if God is God, then God is the source of everything. So if God was to burn you in hell, that would be God burning itself in hell. And that makes for a very unintelligent God. Are you sure you really want to worship that God? You can up, upgrade your programming and it would sa- might save your life. I- I'm forever baffled that people that fly airplanes and run major institutions and are professors in universities still fall for this childhood programming because they're still in a trance and and it's just mind-boggling to me and i'm like i had to go study this on my own because i couldn't get answers to questions in schools or churches which made it very clear to me that the schools and churches aren't prepared to give answers because they're not there to give answers they're there to indoctrinate you so you'd Don't ask those questions.
0: Well, they're part of the system. They're part of the whole system, you know, and everything is coming together now, okay? But, you know, how can people ask those questions? They need to have had, like us, a very hard childhood. They need to have had a major crisis that is going to shake them out of the trance. But basically, what these religious systems have ingrained, have implanted in us is the... Mind virus of the gods and priests themselves. Remember, they are only imitators of life. They envy us. They envy our planet. And they need to vampirize us. Hence the need for sacrifice in all sorts of forms. They know that we are somewhere, something else than them. And they will—they must do everything they can to prevent us from finding out who and what we are so that they continue milking us, harvesting us, and hating us and our planet. It's us and the planet. Everything that is real life with the evolutionary potential of real life, real life that is not afraid to die and to be reborn, unlike them, they have no evolutionary potential. But they have needed to implant their own uh, complex, their own psychology, into us, as the negative mirror image, they are the haters of life and the vampires of life, in power, having the power to eat us, and we are the other side, the 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 uh, the, 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 the the symmetrical opposite of that. We are the the mirror providers. Image. We're the, we're the mirror image, but in negative, because we don't have the power. We only have the power that is intrinsic in us to feed them the life force that they need and that they hate. We have integrated our own level of hatred for life. We hate our bodies. We fear life. We fear death. We fear, I mean, you know, the, the fear that we have all over the place, because we are so confused, we don't understand anything, everything is so frightening, is... A major sort of uh, manifestation of our fear of life so you know there's they a have,
2: paradox in in that
0: there is we are the bearers of life you know along with our planet we are the you know the, so many things you know in terms of life with a capital l and they hate us for it they envy us for it and they need to harvest us for it and they're now at the end game of that
2: well so here's the paradox if they hate life And they're not creative, then how are they creative enough to manipulate our genes, capture us? And if they hate life, why do they keep feeding on us to keep themselves alive? It it doesn't make sense to me. And uh, when you really look at that, it's like someone who's an alcoholic saying they hate alcohol, but they keep drinking it.
0: Yeah, exactly. But that's it. They are completely stuck. They don't have, you know, gods and their proxies on earth are people who have power. They are not immortal, but they have very, 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 very long lifespans. And they have power. That's their attribute in the roles that they play in the universe. When you have power, you have comfort, everything is there for you. Um, You don't need to make any evolutionary effort. You're not prodded on by pain. Their only pain is their fear of death. They have such longevity and they don't ever have to pay the price the evolutionary price of life of of death that we have to they don't have that learning potential they just want more of the same forever for themselves but they know that they're going to die eventually and they fear that like crazy it see-
2: it seems to me though that if we look at this holistically that their function for humanity may very well be to create enough pain that we have to awaken or we die. And when we get to the point where we realize it's all just a silly trap, but the trap is designed to uh, produce enough pain that you have to go deep enough into yourself to become an adult and to stand up for yourself and to ask bigger questions. And then you actually are, just like we said, our painful childhoods put us in a position to grow more quickly, to be more savvy to ask deeper questions and to learn to think for ourselves because if we didn't we just got a lot more pain so the the paradox of all this is that once we realize that the positive potential of the negative polarity is to wake you up to start being your own god which means to become an individual then then the game um reaches a conclusion so i think If there's a message that we can all take out of this, it's as long as we're passive about it, then we're on the sharp end of the God's stick. But once we wake up and say, I'm not going to take your bullshit anymore. In fact, I'll figure out how to feed myself and live without your your, uh, electricity or whatever we've got to do. Because that's really the only transition. As long as they can hold leverage over us, then we have to. Well, we don't have to, but we're we're more likely to play their game. But once we say we don't need you to tell us how to run the world or run our lives, we're going to do it ourselves. Then, then the show's over.
0: Exactly, exactly. But wait a minute, Paul. There's. I mean, you're, what you said is absolutely correct, and that is that that you know this is the logical um, endpoint of this. We have had to go through this atrocious um, ordeal for millennia, collectively as humankind no longer having all the powers and the abilities that we used to have you know in the golden age to be able to reclaim what 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 is it really to be human and it is not to be a god you know you said that once we come out of the of the trance and that we can wake up to the reality of who we are we can become you know gods this is very dangerous we do not want to become gods they want to be gods and you see all the bill gates and those people who want to be gods who already consider themselves to be gods, okay? This is not what we want. The gods are in an evolutionary dead end from their perspective, you know, in terms of where they are in the universe. And the other aspect, there's going to be other aspects that we shall talk about later, which are, you know, really deeper into the woo-woo aspect of this. I'd rather not mention this right now, you know, in in relation to,
2: That's fine.
0: the, the Jesus story, which is the, the cement of the discussion that we're having today. But basically, you know, I think it's important to understand that, yeah, the gods are, you know, be it, be it real gods like Yahweh or real godly figures or those who've been made to be gods. Or be it a, an egregore, you know, like money. Uh, it's it's a, Basically, it's, it's, a, it's a virtual thing, Right. Um, or be it well, science. D- well, they
2: turn Jesus into an egregore. Uh, Jesus himself has been turned into an egregore. By the way, most people don't know what that word means.
0: It means a, uh, you could say a thought form that is fed by uh, it is a, it is a,
2: It's. It is a thought form. It's a thought form that's infused by people's psyche.
0: It's fed it's, with a lot it, of emotion. people put
2: their psychic energy in.
0: But you can also feed, if you are, uh, you know, an initiate you can feed off of it it will give you it will give you energy to do whatever you want to do
2: the problem with an egregore is once it reaches a level of psychic charge it actually develops its own intelligence and starts to think and act for itself that's what makes it like a god they're exactly. extremely dangerous they've been used i've studied entire books on Egregores, and i've 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 also dealt with a lot of people suffering possessions and and egregore possessions are what's happening to people right now.
0: Exactly, sure. I I mean, you know, what you've just described is the definition of what we have with artificial intelligence. Yes. I mean, all the people who are working in those fields are possessed. They are possessed. They are no longer human. It's harsh to say, but, you know.
2: Yeah, and the part of the problem is, is once you get possessed by an egregore, you actually become a vehicle for its own evolution. You become like a cell in its body. And that's one of the dangers of artificial intelligence. It reaches its own level of, of awareness, at well, which yeah. it then turns, it turns on you. It's like, uh, you know, the story I heard recently of a guy that raised a hippopotamus for several years, for six years from the time it was a baby, loved it, pet it, and then one day it ate him. Out of the blue, it just ate them, right? So How unfair. Problem with an egg- <laughs> yeah, you know, and so when it, when you see, when you keep pumping energy into an egregore, you know, there's lots of discussion of this in shamanism. I won't go into it. It'll take too long. But yeah. once you start charging an egregore up with enough conscious psychic energy, it becomes self-autonomous. And that's exactly what happened with uh, the Nazi movement they got programmed to do things that later they themselves woke up and were utterly shocked that they'd participated in and so there you see how the egregore possesses people you see crowds like people at a football game going into a riot and only later realizing you've just destroyed you know somebody's home and car and and many people's buildings and burned half your own city down and you go what the hell happened to me it's like you're completely and utterly stoned out of your mind and don't know what you're doing. And, and that's one of the things that gives me empathy for all these people running to the medical system and believing all this shit that they see on television because they don't realize they are actually caught in the influence of an egregore. You know, nobody's ever seen the COVID virus. All they've seen is talk on television and fake media and propaganda. And if you look at the research, whatever they've called COVID, they don't, no one knows what it is because they don't even have an accurate test for it. So that's a problem. So we've got this whole egregore called COVID, which is just classic brainwashing. Yet statistically, whatever it's supposed to be is no more threatening the seasonal flu. And when they look at death tolls, they're, we're not losing any more people per per year right now than we ever did due to the seasonal flu. So you've got this entire population of millions of people running to get vaccinations over a belief that they've never seen any objective proof whatsoever only media streaming that doesn't tell you anything except a story you know until they have a legitimate scientifically valid test which then it wouldn't matter anyhow because the rate viruses mutate by the time you got injected and walked to your car the virus could be completely different So it's a very dangerous game that's designed to do exactly what Jesus was against. Just rape people of their money and their well-being. Keep them in fear. Keep them afraid. And keep this stupid ass game going. But hopefully somebody's waking up out there. Yeah. Hi, everybody. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you've been following my work for any length of time at all, you know how important organic food and organic farming is. Not only for the health of the soil and to protect all the little beings in nature from toxic chemicals and throwing nature completely out of balance, which directly affects us, but also for our own health and well-being. We all need nutrient-dense foods for body-mind well-being, and I'm so excited about the Organifi line. Organifi is a product line made of certified organic source materials, and I've checked this out personally, I can guarantee you that. One of my favorites that I've recently tried is their Red Juice, which has acai and cordyceps infused into it. It's a super, super tasty product, and it revitalizes skin cells, supports your metabolism, has antioxidants in it, age-fighting nutrients, helps mental clarity. It's got a lovely, natural, sweet flavor. And something that I found really interesting, if you go to Organifi.com and look up the Red Juice, they show you a price per serving comparison against Palm Wonderful, Red Bull, Gatorade, and a Starbucks Latte. And Organifi red juice is actually significantly more cost effective considering not only the price, but the density of the nutrients in it. I think you'll be really amazed with this red juice, along with all their other products. If you go to Organifi.com, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com And as you're checking out, use the code lowercase C-H-E-K-20 all together. You will get a 20% discount on your Organifi purchases. I'm super excited to share this company. I've tested their products. My family's tested their products. And we're all behind them. And I know you're going to be satisfied because this is the real deal. This is true nutrition. Check it out. As you check out C-H-E-K-20 to get your discount. Thanks for joining me. Hope you to continue enjoy the podcast, and if you love it, share it with as many people as you can.
0: Lots of people are waking up, but I think it helps for them to understand to understand, you know, how they were fooled. What you've just described is the modus operandi of religion, religious uh, mind formatting into into dependence, fear a need for a savior, you know. And this is where, you know, to perhaps to conclude on the Jesus story, um, I wish Christians would understand that Jesus is not there to save them, that the Christ is, it's a principle. It's a, you know, even Steiner said, you know, the Christ is a principle with a capital P. And it is a human with a capital H. Principle. Okay, so Jesus is our brother. He's a guy like you and me. He went through this particular life, had this particular death, had this particular awakening of his own, which happened at a particular time in history. That where what he did was highly symbolic, and it could be taken to feed a uh, different, a changed narrative by the church. And, you know, it's manipulating the narrative, encoding all sorts of layers of meaning in that narrative as in other narratives, which you find carrying on, you know, in the stories of, uh, of, of of money, of, you know, it's exactly, it's the same blueprint. It's the same blueprint. So if we can take Jesus for his true full human value, I mean, whenever I think of him, I just weep. Because it's, ah, it's just such a, such, you know, a highly symbolically charged um, representative of what it is to be human. Um, you know, if we can take that into our hearts and we can save us, we can save ourselves, we shall save ourselves. He is not going to save us. We must save ourselves. And this is what this whole ordeal of going through the gods, through their mentality, absorbing their mind viruses, going through that, um, th- that, 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 uh, you know, all those ordeals, it must bring us to this point where, well, the only way out is that we become fully and utterly lost to the cause of the gods, because, you know, what, what is coming now is not going to save us in any form or fashion, or we save ourselves which means it's not just being it's not just saving ourselves it's it's growing you know into a whole new era of what it is to be human i mean it's really exciting what what you know what we're going into
2: absolutely and 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 i am going to share a perspective on this i think this is our chance to truly become real christians when jesus was sacrificed because he was a threat to the empire the money gods the roman empire and the catholic church he was the only one standing up as far as the historical record shows i mean there was probably other heretical people but the point is if you look at the story of jesus as a humanitarian as you share in your book if you say, okay, let's all be Christians together and let's all turn the money tables over. Let's all clear the marketplace. Let's all demand equality. Let's all demand morality. Let's all do what Jesus did to show us what it looks like to stand up for truth, good, beauty, love, and humanity, and relationship, and and keeping it level so that we all have equal chance to survive. That's what we can do as christians so if you want to be a christian then we got to do it together because they can sacrifice any one of us just willy-nilly but if 7.8 billion people say okay jesus left us a playbook but they don't have enough crosses to hang all of us at once so we got a better chance then i think we can be christians and come through this thing together from that perspective very well said i couldn't have put it any better well, I think it's the only way out of this thing. And 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 you know what what I got out of reading the story of Jesus as you've presented it is the realization that Jesus was a model of a man that stood up for the truth and cared about people enough to do whatever it took to try to free them. And if we understand Jesus from the human perspective as you've shared, then I think all of us need to be brave enough to face the fire and say, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die anyhow. I might as well die standing up for something that has value and may change the future for my children because the children's future right now does not look good at all, period. And anybody that's not paying attention to that is very, very dangerously asleep. And if they think people like Bill Gates are actually interested in their children, they might want to look into the fact that he's killed over... 490,000 of them, of them with experimental vaccines in Africa and India. And there's tons of research on that and people speaking out about it, Bondana Shiva being one of many. So I say we have got to say, okay, we now have a chance to become adults, to go through our trial of initiation, to cross the the pathway from the child into adulthood to stand up for ourselves, stand up together. But in doing that, we have to be willing to make the sacrifices because it is going to be challenging and they are going to cut food off. They are going to cut water off. They are going to do what they've done to people like Mercola and many others, try to discredit them, do all sorts of shit. You know, Just to give you an example of how brainwashed people can get, my mother was giving me a rash and a shit because one of my family members got what they thought was COVID and asked what I suggested, and I suggested ivermectin. My mother gives me this whole ration of shit saying I'm suggesting horse dewormer. How dare I do that? What's wrong with me? Don't you know what the FDA says about all this shit? And she says to me, you sound like the big 12 that's ruining the world right now. And I said, mom, the big 12 happened to be half of them are personal friends of mine. They're the best doctors I've ever met in my life. Are you that gullible? The big 12 are 12 of the most loving, caring physicians willing to sacrifice their own careers and their own livelihoods to tell people the truth. How about looking into the doctors or people in the FDA, the CDC and the WHO and looking what their tracker record is of keeping people alive and healing them versus the big 12? And it should be dead obvious. And so, you know, my, I'm just showing you this issue runs so deeply that even in my own family, I'm coming right up against this degree of brainwashing. And all I can do at this point is just hope that all of us with family members that are caught in the jaws of this this dragon of, of manipulation and greed and trickery um, can have empathy for the fact that the people that we love are under a spell and that we have to um, do our best to try to awaken them in ways that don't incite. You see, the problem when somebody's in a belief system, they have built-in offensive and defensive memes so the more you resist someone in a belief system the more they negate you and turn you into an object and then are willing to kill you even your own family members so we we really have to sort of be very uh empathetic to the fact that we're actually dealing with people that have technically lost their own minds
0: yeah so it's well, a it's a real it's tricky. It it is, it is. And we are, you know, so many of us are being faced with exactly the same. I mean, you know, people very close to us. You know, I think all of us have the same kind of situation. But we need to realize that we cannot fight a spell which comes from an occult force. Okay. I mean, this whole, the whole, the other aspect that we really need to understand about the religious institution is that it operates with occult um, tricks. You know, be it in language, be it... And, you know, a number of authors have decrypted a number of these tricks, so, I, you know, we don't need to go over them. But we need to understand that the way we are seeing... Exactly. The people that we are seeing who are intelligent, educated, etc., and they are, um, you know, lock, stock, and barrel in this trance, it is possession it is a cult spell and we there's nothing that we can do with 3d rationality against this we can only work with it as you say with empathy and i would say humbly because i'm no expert in this field with a desire to develop the natural esoteric powers of what it is to be a human being okay i don't want to i don't want to go into detail on this now but I do believe it is absolutely real. I think a person like you is an embodiment of that, Paul. Um, Thank you. You, you know, we can, we can do stuff. You know, countless humans who are awake are creating uh, countervailing thought form fields out there all around us. You know, our own esoteric power is real, And when you start exercising it, it grows like a muscle and it is ultimately much more powerful than the occult um, power of those who hate and devour life and who are going to enslave, modify, as, uh, as Paul said, I would take it even further in respect of the children. It's sacrifice, it's total cyborgization, it's, you know, to take the, hum- the the human out of the children to capture the idea is to capture these souls and um, kind of deactivate them or switch them over so that okay so that they can be used for other purposes so it yeah, really Steiner
2: is. warned that that was coming
0: right exactly so you know i mean now it's all the time frames are becoming increasingly tight it's in, you know the acceleration over this year Last year, the you know, whole COVID thing was kind of mishy-mushy. But this year, the, you know, all the um, timelines have uh, you know, squished up together. And we're really coming to a, coming to a head now. So, yeah.
2: The, the sooner it comes to a head, the better. There's no point in delaying it. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's kind of like having someone put an arrow through you with a bow and arrow. You, you can walk around dreading the fact that you got to pull it out, but you're not going to start healing till you do. So I say the sooner we pull the arrow out and start the healing process, the sooner we restore balance because we don't have a lot of time to figure this out because we have a much bigger problem. And that's the environment is on the edge of collapse. So while we're playing stupid COVID games, we're destroying the planet and we're continuing with capitalism and consumerism, which is a total death stroke for the environment. So not only do we got to get through all this brainwashing, but we've got to get back in harmony with the planet, because even if we bring ourselves in harmony with each other, if we go back to living the same model of consumerism and capitalism that we were in when COVID started... Uh, we're a ticking time bomb. We are absolutely on the edge.
0: We can't go back there. I mean, they the the systems are being destroyed. They're being dismantled by by the by the high priests themselves, anyway. But they are doing it while laying all the blame for the environmental destruction and all that on us. You know, we are the culprits absolutely. for carbon. You know, they fly their jets and and they. It's We are the culprits and nature herself is the culprit because she's producing all these nasty viruses that don't really exist. She's the culprit for, you know, uh, letting out too much carbon. She's the culprit for everything and so are we. We are lumped, natural humans and nature, the planet, are lumped into one big category which you can call life with a capital L, okay? And so they need to lay the blame on us for their sins, which tells you another thing. They are totally irresponsible. They are incapable of responding to reality, to the reality of what they do. The gods and the priests are children. We need to realize that. We can become adults much, fi- they can't become adults in their own evolutionary path because they're, you know, they're stuck in, they're spoiled children, put it that way. Okay. But we, we, and they have kept us in a ch- an infantile state so that we could be subservient to their infantile needs, the infantile needs of the prince, okay? We are their servants. We can come out of our artificially uh, induced state of infantilization, which is due to their own occult uh, workings, to their own violent mind control, to their own inquisitions, all of that. We can come out of it because it, that their system is artificial. We are artificially kept in, in, in infantile state. The minute we understand that, we don't even need to go through adolescence. We can go straight into adulthood.
2: I'll tell you what I believe For without a long explanation of why. I believe that the fastest way to heal humanity of this brainwashing would be to shut the power off for three weeks. Because I believe if people did not have access to mainstream media and video games and social media for three weeks, they would have to reconnect to reality. And for the first time, maybe in their lives, they would start actually paying attention to each other and what's happening all around them and rekindle human relationships. And we would need each other have you got this? Can I borrow some of that? We would have to start depending upon each other instead of the system again. So, you know, I, I would love to see a solar flare of such large proportion that it levels the brainwashing equipment for about three weeks. I think that's all it would take. In fact, I'll tell you a closing story that Osho tells in his teachings. He had a student that kept begging him to meet a meditation master that he was working with while he was also seeing osho and osho kind of you know self-proclaimed meditation master just thought it's just going to be another gimmick this happens to me all the time but the student wouldn't stop pestering so he said finally okay so the guy had to come from a long ways away in india and spend a few days with osho and i think the 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 man that The student brought was was a guru, and he was worshiping the goddess Kali. And Osho, after a a day of this being around him, the first day, constantly praying to Kali, and I'm, I'm just trying to, it may have been a different female goddess, but I'm pretty sure it was Kali. Osho said to him, "Do you realize that all that is is a thought form, and you're just you're just worshiping God as a thought form? You're not worshiping God; you're just worshiping an idea." And the man got really upset at him and said, how could you say that? And Osha said, I'll tell you what, I'll make you a deal. You go three days without praying to that thought form and do not do anything but pray and meditate in silence and leave your mind empty and see what happens. Three days of silence, all of a sudden the guy had an emotional breakdown because he used to have all these visions of Callie coming to him all the time and she was gone. So the moral of the story is if you shut your head off for three days and stop engaging in the constant self programming and reinforcing it with everything they're trying to do, then you'll actually find out the truth. And that most of these things are just self generated thought forms that we end up pouring tons of time, energy and money to and le- losing ourself into false gods. So my closing comment is. Unfucking plug your television and only use your phone as a tool to get somewhere or to use it as a calculator or something to help you do something in the real world. But if you remember Joseph Campbell's astute warning, if you want to know what your God is, ask yourself what you cannot do without for two or three days. Once you can go without your gods for two or three days, which you could, you could go without food and water for two or three days if you had to, you'll find out who your gods are. And then when you realize your god is your phone and your god is your video game and your god is your television, then say, how is that working for me? Has it produced health, vitality, connection, safety, security, love, warmth, comfort, of an enduring, lasting time? Has it brought me into a healthy relationship with the reality of earth and earth's systems? Well, I think after even three days without your fake gods, you'll realize that you've been trapped and you're highly profitable to the people that generate the genies that you keep worshiping. So any closing words, Anna? What a great journey. And thank you so much for sharing and also encouraging me to read the section of your book on Jesus, because I really, I must say, uh, it touched me. And I'm pretty impervious to Jesus talk, and you got me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it wasn't me, Paul. It was Esposito, you know, credit to him.
2: Well, you were you were the uh you were the vehicle. You were the Paul. You brought ah, message.
0: another Paul. Pull. <laughs>
2: you, pu- you, you pulled a Paul on me. <laughs>
0: Yeah no I mean great let's you know let's take let's take Jesus out of his um, soul prison poor thing I mean you know the cannibalistic thing that is being done being done to him every every at every mass is just bah yeah yeah no I, I you've just given a brilliant conclusion it's uh, it's reality okay it's a matter of Amen. reality uh, I think. If we consider to be Jesus a real man in the lower rungs of society, as opposed to, you know, the other possibility, which I also like, you know, the Dan Brown possibility, um, uh, and, and all those stories. But if we if we consider the story of Jesus as as Posito has given it to us, it has way more potential for all of us as humans seeking the right ways. To be human and to get out of the 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 god tricks what i call the god tricks um what uh i mean you know yeah like you I'm, I'm very very moved by the story of a real human being and it's the real it's the reality of our lives and the reality of the things that we do in life the reality of the things we search after in life as opposed to i mean we need to be married to reality more than ever now that we are being ushered into virtual reality, augmented reality simulate simulated reality um, I mean you know computer games we're being told by great you know great scientists and great philosophers that oh well no we're all you know we're only avatars playing in a game on this planet I'm sorry, I'm not an avatar I'm not an avatar out of a video game you know. When I was hurt as a kid, and I'm sure like you, Paul, when we were hurt, and to this day when we see a child or anything being hurt, we hurt in the reality of who we are, in the flesh, in the emotions, in the soul, in the spirit. All of that is us. And we need to, you know, this is what we need to inhabit fully, as opposed to, um, you know, and if we inhabit that fully... The, old, the fake reality, which is only a simulation, it's a perversion of the real life that the gods cannot create. They can only simulate, emulate, and vampirize. You know, once we yeah, understand and boy, that...
2: have they done that to the planet. So, you know, if anybody asks me, you know, what my religion is, I usually say I'm a mix of Sufism, Taoism, and Zen. But after today, I'm a mix of taoism sufism zen and the jesus of humanity
0: yay next time we talk i'll have to we'll have to add another <laughs> what's that no that's just a, that's just a joke next time we'll have to add another element to that
2: yeah, yeah go for it man i've got room in me for everything man yeah, i yeah, love yeah, it sure our next session everybody will be the sacrifice of earth and humanity. And we will get into a lot deeper into all these topics and Anna will unleash more of her genius and great references and concepts. I don't know about you guys, but I thought it was a fantastic journey. And I kid you not, as a guy who has had deep disdain for corporate Christianity my whole life. I've always loved the Christian mystics. I believe every religion's mystics. You can always tell who you should read because they tried to kill those people. If they haven't tried to kill them yet, then they're not really teaching you true spirituality or true religion. But uh, in our next session, we will go deeper. And I'm super excited. I, I really got touched by the story of Jesus in your book. Again, Krivda, The God Tricks Against the Matrix. Anna, thank you very, very much. Where uh, Let's h- announce your website and where they can get your book uh, again so people that may not have listened to the first episode can find you. Uh,
0: the website is at uh, Anna right <laughs> Tort, I mean the name, Anna right Tort Books, there's no dash, no punctuation, no nothing.
2: At Right, our E-I-T-T-O-R-T-N-A-E-N-N-A-R-E-I-T-T-O-R-T.
0: Books. Right? bookscom That's it.
2: Right. Yeah. I just want to make sure because it's, it's an unusual name with an unusual spelling. So I don't want people getting lost and frustrated trying to get an amazing book. I want to make it easy to get to you because it's a freaking good book. Uh, thank you to the sponsors. Thank you to all of you listeners. Even if we pissed you right off today, I'm super excited because that means you'll be thinking about it. We'll be riding around with you. And I would say if you're upset, it means your programming's been challenged. And that's when you start growing. So if you take that painful emotion and do a little humanitarian Jesus with it, and know that diversity is what creates stability, if you censor, Opinions and you don't give them their opportunity to be a challenge to your own beliefs and values, then you actually are like a horse with blinders on and a straight road will not get you to any destination. Meditate on that one. If you have a perfectly straight road and nowhere else to go, you will not arrive. So we took you on a journey today. We're going to continue to take you on a journey for two more amazing sessions. So I love all of you. Thank you for meditating on these things and really ask yourself, is it really true? And keep doing that until your heart says yes. And then keep doing it till your heart says a bigger yes. And that's the best way to navigate the world. And uh, thank you for buying things from the sponsors that supports me uh, and the podcast. And they make beautiful stuff, as most of you have already figured out. And they're earth friendly. I look forward to seeing you next time. Anna, lots of love. Big hug and a big kiss all the way to Thailand for you.
0: Thank you. And a buffalo honk for you.
2: <laughs> honky honky. Woo! I got me my second buffalo honk. <laughs> I'm all I'm all wet with buffalo love.
1: <laughs> yeah, all right. So bye, okay. everybody.
2: See you next time.
1: Great. Thank you for listening to this episode of Living 4D with Paul Check and today's guest, Enna Wrightort. If you enjoyed this episode, you can listen to the first episode with Enna, number 173. Also, stay tuned for another episode where Enna talks about the sacrifice of Earth and humanity. To order signed paperback books of Krivda, The God Tricks Against the Matrix, please go to ennareitortbooks.com. That's E-N-N-A-R-E-I-T-T-O-R-T-B-O-O-K-S.com and use the contact form at the bottom of the page. For the ebook version, go to bitly B-I-T forward slash Krieva the Tricks. That's b i t dot l y forward slash k r i v d a t h e g o d t r i x. Follow Paul on Instagram at paul.check, on Twitter at paulcheck, or on his YouTube podcast channel, youtube.com forward slash living4dwithpaulcheck. D with Watch more on Paul's blog at paulchecksblog.com and get your free subscription to Check videos and more at the Czech Institute's new media site, chikiva.com. Remember, you can read the show notes and find links to the resources mentioned in this episode at checkinstitute.com forward slash podcast you